Amos chapter five from verse one. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only 10 left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, This is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. This is God's word. Becca, thank you, thank you uh, for reading. Uh, hello, one and all, my name is Matt. If we've not met, uh, it'd be lovely to do so afterwards. And if you're joining us tonight, we're uh, in the middle of a series in Amos, which is fair to say is quite strong meat. Uh, it does us great good, but upon first reading of most of the sections in Amos, you don't instantly think, oh good, it's my favourite part of the Bible. Uh, but it does us great good, and we need to hear the fullness of God's word. So we come to this little section in chapter five. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, we've sung much of your goodness, of your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, your goodness in having him, sending him to be the Lamb of God who died in our place so that we might know reconciliation with you, wonderful. We've sung of your justice, therefore, And as we think further now upon your justice, would we understand it rightly? Would we conceive of you rightly? Would our view of you and us 
be shaped truly by your word for our great good and your glory. Amen. Now, a few years ago uh, now, Judge Philip Vassal made the news. He was no great celebrity, but um, he's a sort of circuit judge, really. He operates out of Truro Crown Court, and uh, no great celebrity to him. But uh, a couple of years ago, he was uh, sitting on a case. It was a lorry driver, a lorry driver who had recklessly done a dangerous U-turn on a motorway. It was late. Uh, at night, hardly anyone there, and but he managed to do a U-turn uh, at a sort of fixed, uh, bit in the motor, a dual carriageway uh, where he could. Uh, but I hadn't really checked what he was doing very carefully, and a mum driving her two kids uh, smashed into the car, and they were both killed, all killed. It left behind, um, sorry, the father and the girls. It left behind uh, a mum and another couple of children. Judge Vassal made the news because as he sentenced the man, the lorry driver, he broke down in tears and could barely get his words out. Uh, And this was used as unusual for a judge, for they're all sort of monochrome, granite-faced men cut from the same block, aren't they? Uh, They just dispense justice neutrally, don't they? But Philip Vassal, he broke down in tears and was asked afterwards, why so? He said, oh, chiefly for the woman, for the wife and the remaining girls who were robbed of their father. But also, he said, I found myself crying for the stupidity of the lorry driver who has ruined his own life, will now spend four years in prison, banned from driving forever, and no money for his family. And I wept for him, even as I knew I had to dispense justice upon him. Do you understand somewhat of why he did that? He said, look, there must be justice, and yet I I have no pleasure in enforcing this. And I tell you that because when you get to Amos chapter five, I think as we read God's views on justice, I'd want to suggest reverentially, they're similar. He says, I am the Lord and I will judge injustice in this world, but I take no pleasure in destroying the wicked. I'll do it and it is good, but seeing them go to destruction, there's no pleasure in that for me. So he laments over the judgment that he must bring. I don't know how much you were concentrating as uh, Amos chapter 5 was read. If you were concentrating quite hard, you'd realize it's a little bit complicated to follow. It sort of jumps around a little bit. It doesn't have an obvious logical pattern to it. So I've put what I think is the structure there. Uh, At the bottom, I think it works a bit like that. There's the Lord laments, one to three. He offers mercy, four to six. He accuses Israel of injustice, verse seven. The center of it probably is is who he is. There's a hymn of who he is, God's power. Uh, And then you come out again. There's accusation of injustice, 10 to 13, an offer of mercy, 14 to 15, and a lament, verses 16 to 17. 
I think it works a little like that. So essentially the Lord is saying, judgment will come upon you, Israel. It's absolutely certain. But, but I don't want to judge you. I want you to return to me. Yet, your crimes demand that justice must come. But these sort of these ideas come sort of in, you know, boop, 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 boop. they sort of bash around at us. They're not, they're not straightforward. It it's not one sort of progression. And I think it's almost meant to be that way. So we get this disorientating effect. Yes, there's justice, but come on, I want to have mercy upon you. But yes, but there will be justice. Uh, it makes you want to cry. What's going to happen to you? Says the Lord. So I think it's disorientating chapter 5 by design, but it may be a little disorientating to listen to a sermon, so I'm trying to, going to try and simplify it uh, in these three points. I slightly regret doing that, but um, anyway, we're going to run with it like this. God laments his need to judge, but justice has been turned into bitterness, so seek him while you can. Okay, those three. God laments his need to judge, but justice has been turned into bitterness. So here's what you want to do. You want to seek him while you can. Seek him. If you're joining us, if you're, sorry, if you've been here for the last few weeks, the, the whole of once it's chapters one to four been building up to this appeal. Seek me. Come back to me. Chapters one to four describing everything that Israel is doing wrong and the inevitability the judgment is going to come upon them. Seek me. Here's the appeal in many senses at the heart of the book. Let's take the midterm then. First of all, God laments his need to judge. Verses 1 to 3, and then at the outside, 16 and 17. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word, Israel. So this is the third sort of what you might call them judgment oracle we've had. So we've had this uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word, people of Israel. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows. Uh, uh, And this week, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word, Israel. But this one is very different in tone from chapter 3 and from chapter 4. Hear this word, Israel, this lament. I take up concerning you. The, the, the form doesn't quite come through in English. The Hebrew, it's like a funeral march. You can imagine, I almost had it read with you know, Chopin's funeral march. You know, the du, 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 du. But actually, so Ben said to me, don't do that. Although they'll just, they'll just laugh. Um, and that would slightly ruin the tone of it. And that's probably right. Uh, but it is a, it, it's the sense of a, a man being read his funeral obituary. Here's what's going to be said when you die next week, Ed Steele, um, or whoever it may be. Here's, well, that's a slightly disconcerting thing if someone says that to you. And God is saying this through Amos. The year is about 760 BC, but he's saying in a few years' time, and it happened in 722 BC, in a few years' time, this will be what happens to you, nation of Israel. Let me read you your obituary. Oh, well, you know the, uh, the, uh, the Dickens, A uh, Christmas Carol, when the ghost of Christmas uh, uh, future comes along uh, and says, let me show you your funeral, Scrooge. Ooh, not many there, are there? A bit miserable, that. It's that sense. The Lord is showing their future. It's not great. Verse 2. Fallen is virgin Israel. 
never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. Oh, past tense. Because what he's describing gets a bit clearer in verse 3. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will only, I'll have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. Can I use this word in, in a grammatically correct sense? They are literally decimated. That's what's going to happen to you. That was what will happen when Assyria invades. You'll be destroyed. Your army, gone. No. And it's final, verse 2. Fallen, virgin Israel. Virgin Israel. All her future ahead of her. What a waste. Fallen. Never to rise again. No one can lift her up. I can't lift you up now, says the Lord. Gone. Get the outside of the frame in verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There'll be wailing in all the streets, cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. They'll be wailing in all the vineyards. For because I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Oh, when Assyria invades and destroys this nation of Israel, wipes it off the planet, it's because I'm involved, says the Lord. But what you need to hold together when you read something like Amos chapter 5 is that the Lord is a God of justice, and we'll see why they're being punished in a moment, but he's a God of justice, and he will see that enforced. But he is a God of compassion. He cries over this and says, this is my strange work, judgment. I don't enjoy it, but justice must Come. It must. So he gets in Philip Vassal, that judge in Truro, just a faint echo of the Lord's heart. There's justice, but oh. Oh. And so, can I say to you here, if you're a Christian tonight, I hope you feel the same. That when you look out upon things, I don't know, in our city that make you angry and you think, oh, it's a disgrace that that happens. I hope, I hope it's not a judgmentalism, but it's a, that's bad, that is wrong, I would like that stopped, but, oh, but it's sad that it's gone, life has gone that way for them. Whatever it may be, the several hundred uh, Roma gypsies that sleep under Hyde Park Corner every night, and spend most of their day begging, stealing. You go, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that they steal. I don't like them in my face coming up to me, trying to get, you know, I don't like it. No, no, that may well be right. But I hope there's always compassion. Not a judgmentalism. Because God laments his need to judge. Judgment, yes, but with tears. And here's the reason why, secondly, because justice has been turned into bitterness. The central section, verses uh, 7 to 13. Here's the accusation. So verse 7 is very stark. Those who turn justice into bitterness, there are, sorry, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Uh, justice literally into wormwood is, a, is a, a plant, a highly bitter plant in enough concentration, it would kill you. So justice, people go to court and expect justice and they just get poison. 
And righteousness, well, that just gets trampled to the ground. And the problems get amplified in uh, verse 10. Uh, That's section 10 down to uh, 13. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court, detests the one who tells the truth. You hate that. You've bought off witnesses, and then they come and tell you the truth in court. And it winds you up, doesn't it? Verse 11, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. You double tax people inappropriately. Oh, look, some of you are wealthy as anything. Look, verse 11, you, you built stone mansions. Don't live in them. You built planted lush vineyards. Oh, look, you, you've, you've done all sorts of things. But verse 12, I know how many are your offenses, how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes, deprive the poor of justice in the courts. A miserable system. And God says, no, not so. I will not allow this to continue. It's miserable when you can't trust the court system. Now, in many ways, you want to pause and say, praise God to live in the UK uh, under the rule of law. That is a fantastic blessing. Very rare does it obviously go wrong. You get the sort of high-profile cases, and the book gets thrown at them because perversion of justice is viewed as a sort of really central crime in our system. That's great. And sometimes you go elsewhere in the world, and it isn't so isn't like that, and you notice it very much. Um, uh, Nancy uh, Lutz and Nancy Lambrecht, uh, mission partners in Rwanda, uh, that we support in their work out there. Now, when they've traveled outside and particularly got, got across borders into places like the Congo, uh, and they've been driving, uh, I remember them telling me, the, uh, driving along and uh, pulled over by the police. Uh, you were speeding. I wasn't. You were speeding. I wasn't. Look, you were speeding, and um, we're going to take you to jail. Well, take me to jail, because I wasn't speeding. Uh, and then he realizes, oh, okay. Uh, officer, is there a fine I can pay you? Yes, you can pay me, well, equivalent to 100 quid. Oh, okay. That's just how it is. Just have to do it. Uh, a couple of years ago, two guys in the morning congregation here, uh, Americans, uh, they are uh, big U2 fans, and so having seen them in London, decided to go and see them in Russia, odd decision, um, on every front. No, that's all right. But um, uh, so they went to, uh, flew out and um, went to see them in Russia. Uh, apart from they didn't, because they arrived and uh, were going in, and for some reason, uh, police said, you know, hello, hello, let's be seated. No, they're fakes. They're fakes. Come with us. And they spent a night in jail. Can we phone? No. What? The next morning they were eventually released. Can you imagine you're just freaking out? You've just been arrested. You think you've got a perfectly legitimate ticket. You're freaking out in Moscow in prison. Um... The next day they get released. Well, what was all that about? Ha <laughs> ha, silly Americans. You think you're so big. We show you you're not. Well, you don't like that. You want to be very grateful that we live in the UK under the rule of law. But if that's the sort of system you're expecting, if that's the sort of system you're getting in Israel, corruption in the courts, you know you can't go there and get justice. God says, I hate that. I hate that. At this section, verses 7 to 13, at the heart of it is verses 8 to 9. Look, here's the God you think you're, you're mocking. Okay? This is the God you think, this is the God you think you could sort of, uh, commit crimes and he won't notice you. Verse 8. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion, you know, the, the, the 
constellations in the sky. He who turns midnight into dawn, darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea, pours them out of the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Do you think he won't notice that you've bought the courts off? He can make stars by speaking. He might just notice you putting money in the judge's pocket. He's quite good at seeing all things. It's kind of what he does. It's all part of being omniscient means. He'll notice. Verse 9, with a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. He will make sure there is perfect justice. He will. Everything that's done wrong. And Israel, it'll take place upon you. So verse 7, your justice into bitterness, righteousness cast to the ground. Don't do that. Let me just pause on those two terms and amplify them a little bit because um, they keep coming up recurrently throughout the book of Amos. And and in one sense, this injustice, the fact that the rich are uh, are not allowing justice for the poor in the society, it's the sort of the the drum note that keeps coming through the book. Let me just dwell upon these two words uh, briefly. Justice, particularly in the Old Testament, is the righting of wrongs. Redress. It's kind of the way that we would use justice in the UK. All right, that's justice. Righteousness is a broader term than that. It means healthy relationships. It means the community functioning rightly. It's, it's a bit of a broader term. Both are involved biblically. So in one sense, the justice, we do that pretty well in the UK, I think. The courts generally work pretty well. There was a case uh, uh, last year, did you see it? Uh, Munir Patel, he was a bit naughty. So uh, Dagenham, Dagenham Redbridge Magistrates Court. Uh, uh, if you knew Munir, uh, you just, <whistles> little money in his back pocket, and uh, he would get your speeding tickets, any driving offences. He would make sure they never came to court. It emerged he'd pocketed about £150,000 from doing that. Uh, but you hope he's just an exception, and in the UK, the rule of law is good. So justice, you know, tick in the UK generally. Righteousness, that's more complicated. Because it's pro-marginalized. You come to the God of the Bible, and he says, yeah, I want justice, I want wrongs righted. But I also want righteousness. That is, I want... Life is not fair often, and I want there to be righteousness. I want there to be the oppressed, the marginalized, to be cared for. So three times, uh, we may have them on the screen, three times the, 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 the Lord describes himself in this way. Deuteronomy 10, 18. God is the one who, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Those three, fatherless, orphans, widows, aliens, foreigners. Uh, next one. Or Psalm 68, verse 5, as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That's God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. And the last, Psalm 1469, the Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Those three keep coming up recurrently together. And the Lord describes himself as the God of those three. In, a, in an agrarian society, those are the three that have got nothing. You've got no benefit system. They've got nothing. They're the bottom of the heap. And the Lord says, I care about them. 
So if I can put it in these terms, you know, um, uh, often in the West, justice is portrayed as a lady uh, with two arms out straight, and she's got a sword in one and scales in the other. Uh, you get that on the old Bailey. And uh, often in the States, they have her with a blindfold on. Uh, justice is blind and neutral, and that's good. That's how it's meant to be. Justice shouldn't say, ah, oh, but, okay, that, that's, quite a, that's not a bad picture. But the God of the Bible, much more than that, if you wanted to have a, a statue, don't. It'd be slightly idolatrous. But anyway, if you wanted to have a statue, it would be, as one man put it, uh, one commentator, God stretches out one hand to the, to the crushed, to the oppressed, to the widows, the fatherless, the orphans. He holds out one hand to them to pull them up off the ground. And with the other, he pushes away the oppressor. And that's the righteousness in a legal sense that is being encouraged. That's a broader sense than just justice. Because in one sense, justice allows you not to care about things that go wrong. So you could live in a country where five-year-old orphans are sent down mines to work. and think, well, I don't send them down there. So what does it matter? Uh, I'm not committing any act of injustice. What does it matter? But if God says, I want righteousness, I want right relationships... Well, then you say, I should probably get involved. I, I, I should probably want there to see a change in the law. I, I should lobby for that, for legislation to prevent that. But of course, in the 19th century, Christians were at the forefront of that under Lord Shaftesbury. Or in the 21st century, what do you do in a city where young girls are trafficked into this country and used as sex slaves, and their passports taken. What do you do about that? You could say, I never visit them. I'm not that sort of bloke, not that sort of woman who would go and visit them. It's nothing to do with me. And yet a call for a righteousness would say, but I should care. Look, I don't need to be the one writing the laws to change this in Parliament. I, but I should care somewhat. Uh, not all, but you know, some would know. This area, Shepherd's Market, is a historical and current area of prostitution. These days, it's the hotel dwellers that chiefly use the services. And I think it's a wonder, it's a joy to us that uh, many from this church are involved in the Tamar ministry, which does go out. Uh, and seeks to meet with these girls on a Thursday night, to have tea, get to know them, get to love them, uh, hopefully pass on information which may get them liberated and freed. But at the same time, there's a gospel thread and, and some are reading the Bible with them. That's fantastic. I would hope as a church we'd be 100% behind that and delighted with that. Because that's a righteousness as... The Lord would describe it here in the Old Testament, a, a caring for the fatherless, the orphans, the widow, the powerless in society. God laments his need to judge because in Israel, justice had been turned into bitterness. So, and here's the great call. Seek him while you can. Seek him while you can. Verse four, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not go to Bathsheba. 
The Gilgal will surely go into exile. Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he'll sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. He'll devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. What's he saying? Uh, Bethel, Gilgal, Bathsheba, they're, they're, they're the sort of temples. They're the shrines that people would go and visit. So he's saying, seek me, don't go to church. Now, don't apply that literally. He's saying, seek me, and I'm not interested in your empty religious exercises. I'm not interested in your pilgrimage to Lord. If you want to go to Beersheba, that's miles away. I'm not interested in your pilgrimage halfway across the planet. I'm not interested in your pilgrimage to anything in the UK. I couldn't give a hoot about that. Couldn't give a hoot about your religious practices. Seek me. Me. That's what I want. But do you see the parallel when it comes to verse 14 and 15? Seek good, not evil that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as he says he is. Verse 4, what you're meant to do, Israel, is seek me. Verse 14, you seek good. Then what does that mean? It means if you genuinely seek the Lord, that will outflow in how you treat other people. Be careful. He is not saying, if you go tomorrow and offer your services to do some pro bono law work or whatever it is, that is meeting with the Lord. It is not. He is saying, if you seek the Lord, that will affect how you live. And you'll live in this sort of way. Seeking the Lord in repentance equals a change of behavior. And one of the things I love here, do you see how Amos holds together practical action and a love for the Lord? So verse 14, practical, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Verse 15, it's volitional, it's heart, it's emotion. Hate, evil. Love, good. Not just do good, love it. Not just, dis, not just it's, 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 do you see the difference? One is action, verse 14, go and do stuff. And verse 15 is how you feel about it. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm not just interested in a veneer of religious activity, a little giving to charity, the occasional sponsored swim, or when I was a school teacher, you do the most pathetic sponsored walk for about half a mile. Well done. Well done for raising your charity money. He's not interested in that. A little token effort from the heart is what I want, says the Lord. I want you to care about it. So what do we do with that personally? Your worship of the Lord, if you're a believer should be blended with a love of justice. And that's true, first of all, in your relationships. Personally, you cannot say you're right with God if you're wrong with another Christian. Certainly if you're at fault. As far as you're possible, sort it out. But then more broadly, culturally, Verse 15, again, it's very striking. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. It's not just that you and I are responsible for how personally we keep the Ten Commandments, although we are, but that we're part of a culture that's gone wrong, and, and therefore we should care about seeing justice established. So Amos would say a, a, a religion which cares about personal holiness but just doesn't give a hoot, doesn't give a dogs about the collapse of moral, morals in culture, is not good enough. That's not good enough, says Amos. I don't know if anyone's read the Benedict option. 
Anyone care about such things? It's quite a popular book in some quarters. The Benedict Option says to Christians, we should be like Benedict, uh, the monk, and just retreat into communities and, and not bother engaging with the world because the world is getting all nasty and immoral. I think Amos would say that is not an option. You can't do that. Three questions, then we're done. Three questions that occurred to me, and I thought I'd share them with you. They may not have occurred to you, but I liked them. Or they occurred to me. They annoyed me. So let me share you. Three questions, and then we're done. Here's the first. How can God say, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, that judgment is certain, but then say, but seek me, and uh, uh, you can, in verse 4, seek me and you'll live? How can he do that? Judgment is so certain, I can read out your obituary. I can play you a funeral march. It's going to happen. But seek me and live. How can he say that? Answer. Judgment was certain for Israel. It was all over for the nation, but individuals could still return to him. There was always a remnant within Israel that could return to him. So in one sense, the Lord could say, I've had it with the, the church in the United Kingdom, or even, dare I say, the Church of England. I've had it with the Church of England, the Lord might say. But there are individuals who could still seek me and live. Okay. You see the difference? I think that's what's going on, how you can have those two together. Question two, how does a pursuit of justice and righteousness relate to evangelism? Now, some would get nervous about that, that all this talk of Christians pursuing justice distracts from the natural, distracts from the work of evangelism. The message that you, you need to trust in the death of Jesus Christ to save you from hell, for heaven, forever. And I think that's a very sensible concern. People outside of the Christian church are quite nice to Christians when they care about the, the homeless. And when you say that there's no way to be saved but trusting in the death of Jesus Christ, then people don't like Christians so much. So it's quite nice to do the sort of homeless thing and not the trust in Jesus thing. Because people like you when you do that and don't like you when you do that. So that's kind of a human temptation that we drift one way. You've got to be aware of that. So how, how do these two relate together? Look, here's the best little statement. It's, it's, it's simplistic, but it's still at the same time brilliant. This big debate came up uh, at the last uh, World Conference on Evangelization in Lausanne in 2010. And there's a big hoo-ha, how do we settle it? In the end, uh, one man's statement sort of came out of the conference because it's simple and it's memorable and I think is entirely biblical. So John Piper stood up and said, could the evangelical church say, we Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering? I hope we can say that. But if we feel resistant to saying, especially eternal suffering, or... If we feel resistant to saying we care about all suffering in this age, then either we have a defective view of hell or a defective heart. I think it's simple but profoundly helpful. Christians should care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering because it's eternal. Now, if you don't care about the plight of those who are, who, are, who, are, who, are, who are the underclass, you have a defective heart. What's wrong with you? Because you're nice and comfortable and you don't care about anyone else, shame on you. But if you don't care about eternal suffering, you just don't really understand what Jesus talks about. 
we should care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. I think that's very helpful. Believers with a close walk with the Lord do care for justice, but they care for people's eternal souls more. So that's question two. How do you put those two together? That's a helpful little thing. Question three. uh, How then do we grow in our love of justice? A concern that in our church primarily, and as far as we're able in the culture around us, we do pursue justice and encourage righteousness. Well, I think verses 14 and 15 will tell us that external action flows from our inward emotions. So I think the simple way of growing in this sort of concern is is to believe the message of the gospel. That we were outsiders. But Jesus Christ has brought us in. In the Old Testament, uh, God said to the people of Israel this in Deuteronomy 15, look, remember that you, Israel, were slaves in Egypt and the Lord redeemed you. Therefore, I tell you today, to freely lend to the poor, to the alien, to the widow. Hey, did you do remember what your condition was like before I saved you, don't you, Israel? You had nothing. You were slaves. I saved you. Now life is very comfortable. So how are you going to treat others? Or Paul would say, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Talking of Christians. Once you're excluded from citizenship, without hope, And without God, you are outsiders. Yet Jesus Christ has shown us mercy and grace when we had nothing. You see, if you really understand the Christian message, you you know that, that spiritually you were an orphan, a widow, an alien. You were shut out from God. And yet Jesus Christ came for you. He came for you. He pushed away the oppressor of the devil, and it was simple. He came for you when you didn't deserve it, when you had nothing. And he says, if you understand that, that will affect your concern for others, how you relate to others. It must do. Uh, Someone in the morning gave me a copy of uh, Richard Turnbull's biography of Lord Shaftesbury. It's terrific. Read it. I recommend it. It's history. Got to be good. Um, Did you know Lord Shaftesbury? In the 1830s and 1840s, he was responsible for every workers' reform bill that went through Parliament in a period of 15 years. So they sort of progressively chipped away at how uh, the society worked until uh, children between the age of 9 to 13 worked a maximum of eight hours a day, eight hours in a day, and children under age couldn't work, because before that, they all did, for hours and hours and hours. He was the chairman of the Ragged Schools Union for 39 years, during which 300,000 destitute children were educated for free and fed. He was the chairman of the Lunacy Commissioners, who improved conditions in asylums. He was fantastic at affecting the culture, because he had a heart for social concerns. At the same time, he founded the YMCA, Uh, and um, you want to do it, don't you? Don't do it. Do it after church, not during my sermon. Um, He founded the YMCA to promote godliness amongst young men by teaching them the gospel. 
He was the president of the British and Foreign Bible Society, sending Bibles around the globe. He poured his own personal fortune into supporting missionaries. He was unique in supporting the uh, Anglicans and uh, free churchmen. All evangelistic labors. And he did both. And near his death, Shaftesbury told his friend Edwin Hodder, my religious views are not very popular with my peers. But they are the views that have sustained and comforted me all through my life. I think that a man's religion, if it's worth anything, should enter into every sphere of life and rule his conduct in every relationship. I have always been, and please God, always shall be, an evangelical who stands on the word of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be that sort of evangelical who stands on the word of God, pours his fortune and his labors and effort into seeing evangelism happen in the UK and overseas, and he has a heart for the marginalized, the oppressed. You can't do everything yourself, but you care. And so we need one another. Even in a church such as this, some of us are deeply concerned with the plight of those around us in London. They care for suffering. Others get annoyed with them and say, why are you bothering with that? You just want to care about eternal suffering. And we need one another so we don't have defective hearts or defective views of hell. But I want to be that sort of evangelical. I want to be one who, in chapter 5, verse 14, seeks good, not evil. Then the Lord God will be with you. He's always with us by his grace to give us more strength and hates evil and loves good. So seek me, says the Lord. Seek me from your heart, not your superficial religion. And seek me in your relationships, how you relate to others. Seek me and live says the Lord. That was the offer for every individual within Israel. It's the offer for you and me. Seek him. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, I know my own heart, but you are the one who sees our hearts most clearly. And in a room such as this, as we read and consider and listen to Amos 5, there'll be some who think, yes, this is why we love church, a sermon about justice and caring for those around us. And there'll be some who think, oh, what a waste of time. It's only people's souls that matter, not their physical condition. And Father, we want to be those who are like you. Who fundamentally, like the Lord Jesus Christ, came to seek the lost, to restore them for a relationship. We want to care especially about people's eternal souls. And yet when we encounter the evils around us, we don't want to have defective hearts. We want to care and seek to do what we can in our own way to redress the wrongs that we see around us. So Father, would we be these sort of people so that you don't lament over the Christians that we are, 
Father, would we seek you with all our hearts? Would we seek to follow you in how we live? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, that's one off in a series of Amos. We'll work our way through. I think you only really get balance to the book through the series. I'm not sure I've given a balanced view of Amos tonight. I've given you Amos chapter 5. Uh, so if you have any questions about how these things relate and a pursuit of justice, do come and ask uh, and listen to the rest. Uh, hopefully through the book uh, we get the, uh, the, the, the whole balance right.